0: I'd like to invite up our next panelists um, for the independent sponsor showcase panel. And I just wanted to make a comment that one of our newest clients uh, met with us. And they said the number one most important thing to them is governance. I recently met with a multi-billion dollar multifamily office. They said governance you need even before you know you need it, otherwise it's gonna to be too late. If you put it in place late, the damage might be done. And when I first got started in the industry, just like she said, I used to fall asleep when people talked about the values part. And I just wanted to know who I could work with and why, or how to do something practical. But what I found over time is that the, the values are really the vehicle through which the wealth is transferred. Um, without the values, then the wealth will just dissipate and go away, and you'll lose it, and the family will fight with each other, and it will lead to further wealth loss as well as relationship losses. So the values are the most important. Without that there, nothing to do with hedge funds or life settlements or independent sponsors really matters at all for these families and I think that family offices like to work with people who have similar values that's why we stress so much doing things for the long term with high conviction uh, because that's how they act every day and the more that they see that you are like them the more they respect you and listen to you I have found so I'll hand it a mic over now to Steve from Alternative Investment Resource he's going to be leading this panel for us
1: good afternoon everybody Always nice to be on first person after lunch, or I guess second person, so hopefully there'll still be interest up here. But uh, we have a great panel today, and we'll be talking about independent sponsor and their ability to raise capital. So we've got a great, great team. I'd like each person to take a couple of minutes and introduce themselves, and then we'll start getting into the questions. Afterwards, we'll be like everybody else, we'll just meet you out in the lobby if you have questions for any of the
2: panelists, okay?
1: Go ahead. Thanks.
2: I guess I'll start. My name is uh, Max Garza, I am the COO of a couple of different technology companies. Uh, we literally do blockchain investments, so we tokenize any any kind of uh, vertical in the world, whether it's real estate, bonds, stocks, you name it, we do it. Uh, our last raise, we raised almost half a billion dollars for Dragoncoin. Uh We got beat by Telegram, they raised 1.7 billion, but they had 200 million users, we had zero. So in, the, in that aspect, uh, I think we really won. Uh, so. Thank you.
3: My name is Patrick Hagan, I'm with Strata Trust Company. Uh, We're kind of a niche business in the retirement plan industry. We custody alternative assets for individual retirement accounts. So investors come to us when they want to invest in uh, private equity, real estate, private debt, uh, precious metals, real estate, anything that you can't do through one of the big banks or brokerage firms, they generally don't like to custody alternatives. Obviously, you can do stocks, bonds, mutual funds with any brokerage firm. But inside of an IRA, if you have or you have clients that want to hold alternative assets, uh, namely private equity, private placement type stuff is what I focus on. That's the space that we operate in. Uh, It's kind of a niche within the retirement plan space. We're quite a bit smaller than a lot of the companies you've heard of. But this uh, availability to hold alternatives is becoming more popular. And as your clients have questions about the ability to do things outside of the market, non-correlated type investments, uh, we like to be educators and then a resource for a custodianship for anybody who wants to do it inside of their plan.
4: Okay, thank you. Hi, Fadi. Hi, <clears throat> is this on? Um, I'm Fatty of I'm with Group RMC. We are, um, we are a co-investment group. Uh, with a number of families together that just we just started doing real estate a number of years ago uh, in Canada. And we did really well, and then we got it started to do bigger deals, so we started seeking outside investors to help us close bigger deals. Uh, but primarily a, re, uh, a co-investment group, we, again, in real estate, but we have a very tight niche, which is specifically in suburban office and secondary markets. It's a really tight niche uh, that maybe no one else here is doing, and that's, that's kind of the way we
5: like it. We want, we want to be away from the herds, uh, in a sense, and we do quite well at that. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Greg?
5: Thanks. Thanks. Uh, My name is Greg Vakowski. I am the Chief Financial Officer and a Principal of Prakashanti Companies. Uh, Our firm is a privately held second-generation institutional real estate and alternative investment manager uh, with a national platform. Uh, The founders of our firm have been uh, fortunate enough to make enough money in the real estate business to need and establish our own family office, and uh, the name of the family office is Canton Hathaway in Providence. Um, I've been with the firm for 30 years and raised approximately $1.5 billion in equity, closed uh, 3 to $4 billion in, um, in debt, uh, and completed about $4 billion in acquisitions and other transactions with our firm. Uh, the firm currently has about $2 billion of AUM, uh, owning and operating more than 100 properties in 20-plus states. Uh, we have 45 hotels, and we currently manage for uh, Blackstone Chesapeake Lodging Trust and others. Um, Historically, uh, we've been a value add or or opportunistic investor acquiring assets that can benefit from a combination of one, renovation, uh, two, branding or uh, rebranding, three, implementation of better management, and four, intensive asset management to drive uh, improved asset performance and investment returns. Um, We've built out opportunities across the risk spectrum, from core plus to credit strategies, Value add and opportunistic, and our investors look uh, for us to come up with uh, new opportunities and ideas as a means to uh, diversify their portfolio, gain some alpha, and, and manage risk. Um, we've raised capital through a variety of uh, sources, um, such as family office, high net worth individuals, endowments such as Harvard and Yale, private equity firms such as Lone Star, uh, Oxif, Rock Point, Rockbridge. Pension funds such as CalPERS, and we uh, we underwrite, identify, and execute uh, investment strategies um, in partnership uh, with institutional capital, and uh, we're proud to say that we are one of the three uh, operators in the hospitality space. The CalPERS selected as an investment manager. The other two was uh, were Starwood Capital and RLJ, and then finally. Um, uh, we recently uh, launched uh, our first retail product, Prakashanti Hotel REIT, which is a non-traded public uh, real estate investment trust that's uh, focused exclusively in the select service segment uh, of hospitality. Um okay. Good?
1: All right. Why don't we go ahead and get kicked off? I'm going to actually um, mention Patrick's firm. We're going to ask him some specific questions because he's really a source of capital in many ways. And um, most of us don't know the how or why and when to take the opportunity to invest in alternatives through his structure. So I'm going to ask him some specific questions on that. Uh, before we do, though, so the other three, uh, the first question is, you take, you know, many of you are working with LPs. Okay. So how long does it really take to identify, and what's your strategy for identifying the LPs that you have been successful with so far? Max?
2: Well, we work with uh, 27 family offices okay. So, because we are a blockchain company and we've had much success in our space. Uh, our, our family offices hold about $800 billion under management right now, but the mandate for them has changed. Four years ago, they were very scared of digital currency, blockchain, right? But now they're seeing an explosion globally because governments were working with Malta, so because Malta is a crown jewel of legality and compliance in our space, they're very excited so for them, you know, we, we allow the family offices to take care of all of the paperwork. We are just a conduit for them because at the end of the day, uh, we're in Japan for seven days, and they funded half a billion dollars in seven days. And the reason they're doing that is because people are starting to realize, or companies, I should say, are starting to realize that you can tokenize assets, not just get funded, but also tokenize so you have liquidity globally coming into your company. That, that's the power of making sure family offices understand tokenization. Because at the end of the day, you can tokenize any vertical, real estate, bonds, stocks, companies, whatever it is. And so once you realize that function and family offices are able to see that you're working with blockchain experts, they will put money into any project globally. That's just our space right now. So.
1: Wonderful. All right.
4: Um, you want me to go? Yes, go ahead. Uh, how do we raise the capital was the question?
1: Well, how, we, yeah, how do you contact LPs? You know, you've been very successful, so right, right. what's the strategy for that?
4: Yeah, we raised quite a bit. I mean, uh, we did about last year about 700 million in deals, I mean, this year. And we'll do probably about a billion in 2019. So we have different sleeves. Uh, we deal with a lot of family offices. Um, I'd say that's about probably two-thirds of our LPs, are family offices. I think our track record helps. Um, Our fee structure helps a lot. We're we're investors as well, so we're not crazy about fees. Um, So we try and make it as investor-friendly as possible. And what we launched a couple of years ago in Canada, which has been far more successful than we thought it would be. It was more of a test project. That's why we always started in Canada. Uh, It was a fund for investment advisors. And we got our offering on, a, on the shelves of um, investment advisors and independent firms and they were able to offer it to their high net worth clients and it was a huge success and it ended up being we thought it would be maybe five percent of our raises every year and it ended up being closer to ten or fifteen uh, so now we're launching the same thing in the US uh, starting in January because there's been a lot of interest and there's a, a lot of investment advisors and RIA's that say we want to have access and doing direct deals like most of our LPs do is a little bit more complex and not everybody's set up to do due diligence properly. So, They'd rather do due diligence on our team and our track record and our strategy versus asset by asset and we do a lot of deals so that's going to be an offering that we suspect that's going to be probably about 20 to 25% of
5: our annual raises now.
1: Great. Greg, what's your strategy? What makes a difference?
5: Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> obviously a, a great track record is is what brings people coming back and so uh... if you're out looking for new investors that don't really have that much experience with you it's a little more difficult and more time consuming to gain their trust uh... but when it's word of mouth it's uh, obviously a lot easier so as uh, as our investor network continues to grow and people continue to participate in our in our in our investment uh, opportunities uh, Good experience, you know, generally, uh, you know, results in f- you know friends continuing to come into the following investments and so on and so forth. So, but certainly, um, what what attracts people to to our firm is our institutional background. People want to know that you can execute, that you've been vetted, and um, and you've dealt with sophisticated uh, uh, um, investors and been able to to to. Uh, do the reporting that 's required in a timely fashion and and able to be transparent and and so on and so forth and additionally uh, if you've if you 've had serial investors, whether they 're institutions, um, private equity firms or high network shops, having serial investors that have come into your your um, your your transactions multiple times certainly gives people the comfort that they that they need that you 're um, that you're an able uh, sponsor to, to deliver on the promises that you uh, that you give them. Right. How What percentage are serial investors? Are there a lot
1: in your situation?
5: <laughs> uh, I mean, just about all of them. I mean, okay. You know, we, we've we've had, uh, you know, we had a, a, a high net worth shop uh, back in 1997 that um, was a multifamily fund and. They had the rights to do a small amount uh, in their fund documents that were non-multifamily. So we pitched them. They said, "We really don't do hospitality, but we'll, 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 you know, we'll go out and take a look at, at a deal with you." So they got their guys uh, went on the road with us. They they uh, diligenced us, met a lot of our our staff, and uh, and they basically said, "We'll we'll dip our toe in the water with it, with you. We'll do one deal with you." And they ended up doing four funds, seven individual assets, so about 30 hotels, about $450 million in equity later. That was one relationship. So that would be a, a prime example.
4: I think that's similar to our experience where we haven't had a – I can't think of any one-off investor LP putting in money one time. They tend to I – would, I would guess uh, probably 85% of our LPs are – Sort okay. of following us. Some have been doing deals with us for 15 years. That's great. If not longer.
1: Amazing. Max?
2: You know, at, at the end of the day, the beautiful thing about equity is uh, you can structure these deals uh, for equity and debt. So globally what you're starting to see is a lot of companies are really understanding that, the, like he was talking about diligence, right? For us, it, it's more about diligence and patents because a lot of times when we have companies that are trying to get funded, uh, trying to connect all the dots with like patents and and all these companies being uh, integrated that that for us allows us to see like the true value so we can package the, the, the actual workflow right uh, but what we 're seeing is is globally because markets are down especially like cryptocurrency And obviously, stocks are not doing very well either. Uh, So what we're seeing is the family offices are putting more money because it's like Black Friday for us. So it doesn't matter if you're in movies, real estate, energy. Uh, Obviously, blockchain is our our forte. But they literally are voracious right now as far as trying to fund deals globally. So as long as you, you have your diligence in place, there's a lot of money out there for you.
1: I imagine for Patty and, and Craig, it's a little um, the cycle is probably a little less because you have so many repetitive investors. Your cycle um, there, are you have people coming in for the second and thirds as well? At this point, or are they still too early, and how many times do you have to call on them to get that kind of volume generated?
2: I mean, te- technically, we just show them that the 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 thing about the way we work. It's a little bit different because we are mainly technology, right? So because we are kind of the back end side where anything that a company needs technology-wise, we have four technology companies, uh, every, every four from Manhattan to India uh, to Belarus to Ireland, and now Tokyo, actually five, sorry. Uh, so anything that they need tech-wise, our family offices know we can deliver. Okay. So because of that, that's why they're excited to work with us because at the end of the day, if they have value on the tech side, we can do anything they need. If you have a dream... We can get your dream to the market faster, basically.
1: Right. I'm going to take a few moments right now and ask Patrick to talk a little bit more about Strata Trust and how Strata
3: incorporates into these capital raise strategies. Yeah, so as a self-directed IRA custodian, we don't take on a fiduciary capacity. We don't tell our clients what to do. I mean, at its core, we're kind of an order taker. The client directs what they want to do with their retirement money. We facilitate it, and as a trust company, can hold that as an IRA custodian. So that arrangement of us not being involved, not selling any product, allows us to hold anything the IRS permits, which includes real estate, private equity, private debt, uh, LLCs, limited partnerships, energy, precious metals, we can do a lot of different things. Uh, Generally, when I work with anyone raising capital, whether it's a private VC fund or Reg D or any kind of private offering, is just plant the seed that an IRA can make an investment into that type of deal. The average investor has been told for 40 plus years you do stocks, bonds, and mutual funds inside of your retirement plan, which is fine, but you can also do the private equity and the convertible debt and other alternatives. So planting that seed with your existing database, with your existing investors, might actually open the door to additional capital. There's over $7 trillion in IRAs right now in the US, and a very small percentage of that currently is in alternative assets. And it's just simply because the brokerage world, when they started IRAs in 74, started branding themselves as IRA custodians. So when you think of an IRA custodian, think of Pershing or Schwab or Fidelity or Vanguard, you could also think of some of the smaller companies like Strata Trust, that can do the alternative assets. But it is very transactional in nature. It's very niche. We don't uh, sell any products, so there's no need to move money to us unless you desire to hold an alternative. But when that comes up, we make it very quick and seamless to get that client's money moved over and then put out into that alternative. Interesting. So why don't more people know about this? Just namely awareness. Uh, I mean, it's just simple fact of the matter is the big players in the retirement plan space uh, primarily make their dime by selling equities. So like I said, for 45 plus years, you've been told if you have a retirement plan, IRA, 401k, SEP, Roth, whatever, you put it in the market. And that's what most people do. Uh, So just awareness is our biggest stumbling block. Uh, Certainly, the last 10 or 15 years has been better. You know, now that people can Google search private equity IRA or real estate IRA, you can find that there are companies that do what we do. When I started doing this about 15 years ago, I was one of like maybe five companies in the space, big companies. Now there's probably 45, 50 companies The brand himself is self-directed IRA custodian, so it is growing, but we're still very small compared to uh, the broker-dealers out there in the brokerage world.
1: So for the benefit of the people out here raising capital through this vehicle, so what's the process? Uh, What exactly happens, and how do these people get engaged or funds get engaged with you?
3: Yeah, it's real simple. Like I said, it's very transactional. It's kind of a need-based service, so if one of your clients desires to take their IRA from where it is now and put it into an alternative investment. First, they'd probably wanna check with their current provider, see if they can do it. Nine times out of 10, the answer is gonna be no. And even if they would be willing to hold it, there's gonna be a lot of red tape and potentially a very high cost to do it. So we're set up specifically to do it. they don't do. Uh, They would set up an account with us. It would be an individual retirement account, traditional Roth, SEP, or simple. We would, once we set up the account, go pull the cash, Needed for the alternative investment from where it is over to Strata, and then the client or their advisor would direct us to put it into whatever investment they elect to make. So, our role is to take those in- direct instructions from the client and to put it into the investment that they have already decided they wanted to make. So, when I tell people I can't help them raise capital, it is because we have 30,000 clients, but those 30,000 clients all move to us to do a specific transaction. So there's no way for us to like, pitch deals or get you in front of them. But if you have people that have that money tied up in a retirement plan and they want to do this type of thing, it would just be a matter of engaging a self-directed custodian, setting up an account, shifting over the money, and then directing that purchase into the alternative.
1: Great, anything, anything else you can share with us?
3: Uh, No, just, again, awareness, uh, just making sure your clients know that's an option for them. Uh, And, again, the the industry has become very polarized. When I started doing this 15 years ago, I really did think that the brokerage road was going to move into alternatives it's gone the other way. Uh, uh, Schwab 10 years ago pushed out all their alternative assets, JP Morgan Chase, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley. For the most part, they've all pushed out the alternatives. It's a headache for them. They don't know how to bill for it. It doesn't fit the system. It's just, uh, it's very hard to be a fiduciary on 90% of the portfolio and not on these 10% alternatives. So it's become very polarized. The niche that we operate in has become very identified and very defined and we're happy to operate in that because, frankly, we're picking up investments that you just can't do elsewhere. So, as it comes up, there are options, and um, you know, we just we like to be educators, we're kind of a resource to let people know how that all works.
1: Great, thank you. Uh, this question is probably uh, more appropriate for Greg and Fadi and Max, but what uh, have you recently learned that you wish you had known when you started in your efforts? So, when you first, what have you learned recently? Go ahead,
4: Fadi. I think we would have done a fund we've, most of our deals were deal to deal, direct deals for for years with our LPs and uh, I I guess we were pleasantly surprised at how well a fund structure in Canada worked on on a retail shelf and we probably would have gotten our our, uh, fund that's our fund structure that we're introducing in the U.S. and, and for foreign investors that we're launching in January, I, we probably would have, we've talked about it for a few years, but we were closing all our deals and raising enough capital. So there was no sense of urgency until we had a lot of groups saying, yeah, we'd like to deal with you guys, but we only do funds. So we probably
5: would have done it earlier. That's, okay, yeah. okay. Greg? Yeah, I mean, uh, for us, <clears throat> it's, it's really knowing what investors want in terms of transactions, in terms of risk profile. Uh, what their needs are whether they're income based whether they're long term investors uh again what their what their tolerance is for for risk and and that 's the most valuable to us is to really know um you know who wants to make an allocation into the real estate into the real estate space and into uh, into our space um and that's that's the challenge that that everybody has in in this space okay.
1: max
2: you know I wish that we would have done a hybrid sooner, uh, as far as the security token offering. Because uh, literally ICOs was like the wild, wild west. People were raising hundreds of millions of dollars, but without compliancy. So in hindsight, now that we've seen the rise and fall of the ICO, the STO is really going to change the world. Because the security token offering is a hybrid between an IPO and an ICO. And at the end of the day, what's going to happen is more organizations, more verticals are going to see this space. And not only are they going to raise money like actual equity, but they're also going to get liquidity because they're going to build global ecosystems. So really that, that hybrid STO offering is something that I wish we would have gotten into a lot sooner.
1: We're going to start asking the audience for some questions. So if you're, you're ready, I'll go ahead and start. Sir.
2: That's a great question. So you want to know more about the blockchain or a tangle, correct? Like you want to know the uh, what underpins uh digital currency, correct? So this question comes up all over the world. At the end of the day, blockchain is a digital public ledger. It allows you to have more transparency, more traceability, and this is why banks have patents like JP Morgan has 22 patents on blockchain tech, right? because they understand that blockchain is gonna be around for decades. Who remembers their first computer? Raise your hand, like your first computer. You remember how excited you were when you got that computer? You couldn't spell modem, but you couldn't wait to get on that computer, right? So it, it didn't matter if you understood uh, the protocol behind email, you just clicked the button and sent a message, right? So that, that space moving from computers to mobile devices and now to blockchain and drones, because drones are the actual future guys. Uh, blockchain just allows you to have a ledger where now every transaction is traceable, right? It gives you the ability, like for government. Uh there's, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of degradation of information, but on a blockchain you can trace everything. So that tech will be around for decades, that's not going anywhere. Digital currency is just one little function of blockchain. Just like the first internet, you had email, right? Email is one little function of the first internet, the internet of information. And, and now what you're seeing is digital currency like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, all these digital currencies, they're one little function of blockchain. So blockchain is really what you're looking to put your money into. And with an SEO remember, that's a hybrid. So you have to be an accredited investor to put money into that. That's the beauty of what you have in front of you.
1: Other questions? Yes.
3: We we do partner with people to put out educational information. We have to be very careful in the way it's presented to make sure that we're not in any way, shape, or form endorsing any kind of product or investment sponsor. Uh, We're very um, PC in the way that we do that. But we do, yeah, we do partner with various attorney firms and others that we uh, put out white papers, we do blogs, uh, we do quite a bit on LinkedIn, we have, you know, Facebook and all that. So we're, we're, we're primarily trying to educate not only the end user, but also the registered investment advisor community, and anyone that we think needs to be aware of the fact that alternatives can be held inside of a retirement plan. So we're always looking for those... Um, uh, you know, we we can say it all day long, but obviously this is what we do. So, somebody on the outside that has content that's educational in nature, that's valuable to us because then we can utilize their expertise and fit it into what we're trying to communicate. Yes, sir. Again. That's a great question. Um, I'll answer the value one first because it's it's a little bit simpler. The valuations with alternative assets, obviously, they don't trade daily. There's no index, and so we request typically from the investment sponsor, an updated value at least once a year. The regulators want us to require that from our client, and we get it via the investment sponsor. If the investment sponsor doesn't respond, we'll go to the client directly and say that we need a value. It may be that the value is exactly what it was when we funded it, and that's fine. We put that in a file, we show that we've requested that valuation. With real estate, you may get like a broker's opinion letter for a private equity deal, typically they're, they're reporting to their investors at least once a year anyway, so we just get a copy of that. Uh, in respect to blockchain, there are some companies in our space that have moved into cryptocurrency. We do a lot with various funds that are blockchain related. We see a lot of private equity deals that are blockchain related. Uh, we have not elected to dive into the cryptocurrency as far as cold storage and holding you know, Bitcoin or Ripple or Ethereum directly. Uh, we're reviewing that with the regulators down in Texas. We're a Texas-based firm. So uh, they're just a little slow-moving down there on the regulatory side, and they don't want to dive in and be the first one in. But there are some of our competitors out there that you can actually – I actually used one of our competitors to buy some Ethereum a couple months back just to see how it worked. So I own some Ethereum inside of my Roth IRA. So it can be done. It's just institutionally you've got to find one of the custodians that's set up to hold that type of asset class.
1: Great. Thank you. Sir, you have a question over there.
3: Uh, yes and no. So his question was, would we be able to address UBTI? UBTI stands for Unrelated Business Income Tax. UBI comes into the picture in two, two places, and I'll try to be brief. But one is if you're invested into an investment that has debt-leveraged real estate and you're profiting, your return is somehow affected by that debt leverage, it could be a potential for what's called Unrelated Debt Finance Income Tax tax to flow back to your IRA. You and I may need to talk offline just for the sake of time. The other would be if you own an operating business inside of a retirement plan. If you're 20% owner of a company that's selling widgets and you're getting 20% return from that company, it's as if your IRA owns a portion of an operating business and that would kick off potentially unrelated business income tax. So I would tell you that our senior management team, our compliance team, and even my experience, we probably know about as much about UBIT as anybody out there, but if you're looking for a definitive will UBIT be applicable to this investment, we've got to be very careful there because that kind of bleeds into tax advice and uh, we've, we can't do that because we're not in a position to give tax advice. So ultimately our textbook answer is talk to your CPA. The problem is not every CPA is going to be up to speed on UBIT, UDFI. So we're going to kind of lead people as far as we can and point them towards the code and give them as much content as they can to work with, so they can determine if it's applicable.
1: Great, thank you, Breger.
5: Well, you know, it depends upon where you where you position yourself in the space. So um, uh, we're, we're currently acquiring. Uh, select service hotels we we do own a fair bit of full serve and and uh, but our current investment strategy today is in select serve and select Serve you know is is you know viewed as a bit of a defensive play today, which I think investors uh, appreciate uh, so as you know as you know economy maybe pulls back a little bit people travelers generally look for a little, a little bit of a lower cost alternative and trade down from the, the, the full-serve upper upscale hotels into, into select-serve, and so it's a bit of a defensive play, and so that's why we've uh, adapted our strategy at this point in the cycle.
1: Great. Well, we're almost out of time up here, so I'm going to leave everyone with one last question. Um, what opportunities or investments uh, do you have for the audience, or what are you seeking today, whether it be capital or, or deals? Max, what, do you, what can the audience help you with?
2: There's four mandates that we have from our family offices. It's movies, real estate, energy, and anything that's tech or blockchain related. So those are our four mandates for funding and uh, we're ready to go.
3: Okay, great. Patrick. Uh, from our standpoint, just bringing awareness to the space. We want people to understand that uh, alternative assets are capable of being held inside of retirement plans and uh, we're happy to be a resource if anyone has any questions.
1: All right, Friday?
4: Uh, we just have a couple of live deals right now, we'll, they will be closed, uh, we, we're raising a little bit more equity on, again, in the office space, if anybody's interested, we could talk, and uh, I think our thing is that we go, we get a lot of deals, so our deal flow is pretty strong and what we have upcoming, I think, for 2019 is quite strong.
1: Great. Greg.
5: Yeah, I mean, we've been in the business for 30 years, so we, we're continuously looking for uh, uh, acquisition opportunities, we have a full-time business development and acquisitions team at sourcing uh, sourcing transactions so our, our company always has uh, a variety of transactions that are in a variety of